Welcome to Synergy, the interactive podcast providing resources for building a better life. I am Zenashe, and you're about to listen to what is not a normal episode. It is not going to be a podcast episode. It is going to be a chapter from my memoir, Plenty of Guppies and Other Dating Misadventures. Um, If you've been following me at all, you know that I believe that life is our best teacher. And if we're paying attention to our lives, we will learn things. We will grow. We will change. And I wrote a memoir in February of 2022. And you're going to get a chance to listen to a chapter from that memoir. All of the chapters uh, one to six, as of me recording this, are on the podcast now. And there will be further chapters released. Eventually, the whole book will be released as an audio book. But for today, you can listen to chapter one to six. So happy listening. May you walk in Zenergy. Chapter 6, Focus On July 26, 2017, I got dumped for the second time in my life. In high school, in college, I'd had three non-sexual relationships. I'd ended each. I'd been married twice and had one boyfriend between those two nuptials. I'd ended those three. Then the muse dumped me, and now Harley. I didn't handle this second rejection well. How the hell did I go from being the dumper to the dumpy? Gatsby said I was a control freak, and though I'll deny that absolutely and totally, 726 through August 16, 2017, might be the only evidence that might support his description of me. In fact, I'll call this month my TI period, temporary insanity. First, I told Harley he wasn't breaking up with me. I wouldn't accept it. Then I tried to figure out solutions that I proposed one after one, none of them viable. After a week, I admitted defeat. I let him go. The next week is a blur. The third week I call Gatsby. I was bitter, angry, disappointed, disgusted with Harley, with Gatsby, with men. I'd gone 6.5 months without good sex and I was out $75 for the fence Gatsby had promised to fix and never did. I suddenly wanted my money and my pipe. In my head, both seemed like reasonable asks. I actually thought I was owed both. Payment for the inconvenience. It feels strange typing this, but that was how I felt. And I felt utterly justified. And this is why emotional decisions may be poor decisions. Maybe I was the one dreaming the impossible dream. And it was probably not the first time I was making a totally emotional decision. When I met my first husband on my first job out of college in 1994, I had told him we had nothing in common, that we'd never be together. 
I was attracted to his body, his personality, his intellect, not his face, his background, or his lifestyle. We were opposites. But I didn't know the power of love, of feeling loved. I'd never had a man look at me, compliment me, seduce me the way he had. I'd never felt accepted unconditionally, pursued relentlessly, idolized. He put me on a pedestal, and I liked being there. It was the first time in my life I felt princess status, daddy's little girl. Contrary to popular opinion, it isn't only the women who grow up with no father who desire that unconditional love daddies are supposed to offer, but I didn't know that then. Anyway, he went around work telling everyone I was his wife. He'd never spoken to me. I confronted him and asked why. He said, you are, you just don't know it yet. You're everything I want in a woman. He rambled off my qualities. He was right about me being all those things. I was impressed. He was observant. He asked me out. I declined. I thought he was presumptuous, out of line. He backed off, but not for long. He would ask. I declined. But he kept shining at work. I saw how other women wanted him, but he declined them. He wanted me. I never had a man after me who was a commodity. The idea was enticing. The next time he asked, I would say yes, I decided. The next day, he drove up in the car I wanted, an Audi, black, leather, rims, tent, sexy as fuck. That was my car, my absolute dream car. Why was he driving it? He ushered me into it and asked me out again. I said, yes. We went out that day after work and had a blast. After one of our first dates, he'd said, I know men find you intimidating. You're brilliant, ambitious, accomplished, driven. He nodded appreciatively. I see inside, behind those walls. You're just a little girl who wants to be loved. He was right. So right, I was stunned. I'd never seen myself that way. But when he said it, the rightness of it hit me to the core. So deep, I was never the same again. So deep, I felt that someone understood me for the first time in my life. Someone saw me. I hadn't even been trying to be seen, but I was, and it felt more incredible than any feeling I'd ever had. And at that moment, my emotions took over, and I was his. I loved being loved, and I felt loyal to him for loving me. The fact that we were opposites who had barely met and came from two different backgrounds with two different lifestyles vanished inconsequential. Love could conquer all. Temporary insanity. When I picked up the phone to call Gatsby, I wasn't angry or bitter or even determined to get back my $75. I was curious. Would he even take my call? We hadn't spoken in 6.5 months. I didn't even remember the last thing I said to him. I'm sure it was something like, I depended on you, you failed me, lose my number. He did answer. I was surprised. I fell back into my old pattern with him. Flirtatious banter, small talk, gauging his interest. I asked how he'd been. Good. Better than good. He'd reconnected with an ex and was getting married. What the fuck? Married? It's been six and a half months. How the hell are you getting married? What are you mad for? You dumped me, he said. And aren't you in a relationship? No, I'm not. And who gave you permission to get married? Permission? I'm a grown-ass man. What the hell? I don't care how grown you are. You weren't a grown-ass man when you were standing me up, making me wait on a fence you never fixed, costing me $75. Where was the grown-ass man then? 
Grown ass men take care of their fucking business. They are men of their word. They aren't liars who break promises to the women depending on them. They don't establish expectations and then fail to follow through. Bitch ass niggas do that. I actually did not know where these words were coming from. They weren't planned. I'd only cussed two other men out in my life, both on the day I decided to divorce them. Why was I cursing at Gatsby? Why was I livid? What was this really about? I don't know who you think you're talking to. And I don't know why you're mad. You got your fence. You got your man one better than me. So why would I wait around on you, especially after it's the second time you dumped me? We were never together. I can't dump you, I interrupted. Well, if we were never together, why the hell are you mad? I'm getting married. You didn't want me. Did you actually think no one else did? I didn't have answers for any of that. I think I just hung up, or he did. Regardless, the call was over. We were over, and he was getting married. Marriage. He could have it. I'd wish her good luck. They deserve whatever it brought. I hated the word. It was a cage, a prison, one I'd been released from. And most days, I could never see going back to. Tying the knot. Yes, tied in knots was accurate. The old ball and chain. Yes, that was accurate too. I belong to that classification of women that men don't think exist. A woman from a two-parent household who grew up seeing long-lasting marriages. My parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, everyone was married. Not one divorced till I was in eighth grade. And even she remarried and stayed married. I knew marriage. That was one reason I told both my ex-husbands we came from different backgrounds. They were raised by single mothers. I was raised by both my parents, especially my father, whose word in his house was law. I knew marriage. I would have never posted that famous question on Facebook. Why did our grandparents' marriages last and ours don't? I know how to be our grandmothers. I know why their marriages lasted. Simple answer, fear, and lots of it. I felt it walking down the aisle so strong, much stronger than love. I was going to be a wife, a mother. It was my job to keep the family strong. If I didn't, it was my fault. Fear. People would think I was the problem. Fear. I couldn't keep a man. Fear. Keep a home. Fear. Keep my children in line. Fear. I would have failed as a woman. Fear. Besides the petals of my chastity, this was the real rose that mattered. Stay married at all costs. Compromise, placate, please him, submit. Those were a wife's duties. God said so. So did society, especially the black community. The idea that someone's representative can last only three months is false. For me and some of our grandmothers, the representative lasted the whole marriage. Fear extended its lifespan a lightning bolt of energy to this Frankenstein monster cobbled together from one-fourth image, one-fourth, what will people say, reputation, one-fourth, you need help providing, one-fourth, children need their father, broken homes are breeding grounds for criminals. Trained to fear. Trained that no decent woman is a single mother. Those women that end up like that are broken, selfish, slutty, worthless. More than anything my husband could do to me, I didn't want to be one of those women. A statistic. Marriage was a cage. I don't mean that I didn't love it some days, weeks, months, years. I did. 
It was a wonderful, plush, cushy, stimulating, comfortable cage. So nice you didn't see the bars till you ran into them one day and wondered what they were. And at first, they didn't bother you. You had so much freedom, so many blessings and opportunities, as long as you stayed in your place. Ironically, I thought when I left home and got married, I'd experience greater freedom. My husband saw me, knew me better than my parents, better than I knew myself. What big eyes you have, the better to see you with, my dear. What big ears you have, the better to hear you with, my dear. What big teeth you have, the better to gobble and spit out the parts of you I don't like. So far away, you'll never be able to find them, my dear. I was good at being married. If I had to divide myself into parts in marriage one, it would have been one-fourth spirituality, one-fourth intellect, one-fourth sexuality, and one-fourth personality. The first three were allowed. The last was forbidden. Marriage two, though not physically abusive in any way, only permitted one-fourth spirituality. Can you imagine how incredible it was with JJ to express 100% of me? Indescribable. Intoxicating. I was too in love with the freedom to ever fall in love with him. And then, the muse unearthed another portion that I didn't even realize was a crucial part of me, the artist, creative expression. I was no longer 100%, but 125%. Bigger, better, expanding, growing, a whirling dervish, a Tasmanian devil, a nexus, a nebula. I just had to nix my sexuality, and I did. It was less than I'd given up in my marriages. Totally doable. Gatsby, let me have it all. 125%. He could handle me. Another phrase men hate. They don't want to admit that they, as a group, of course there are exceptions, encourage, inspire, and even require that women censor themselves. The tightrope. Be too forward, you're a slut. Too demure and you're a prude. Cover up and you're a tease. Reveal you're oh so rude. Too sexy one day, too shy the next. Can't think too much, just butt cheeks flex. Mouth open wide and you're a bitch. Mouth closed, you put men to the test. It's exhausting, this fine line of less, no more, more, no less. A button open, a button closed. Don't smile too big or else. Don't laugh too loud. Don't look too long. Sit patiently on the shelf. So tiring to play these games. Could men grow up and choose? Because ultimately, with all these jumps to conclusions, both genders lose. I thought about how angry I'd been with Gatsby and I wrote this. The layaway plan. There's some people that hurt us and we let it slide. We tell them, we move on, we swallow our pride. Femininity dictating we need to be understanding and gentle and not demanding. But one day he repeats, we come bearing claws, spouting legion offenses, his mistakes and flaws, pissed to the nth, no holes barred. Sex that once pacified is no longer received. Explanations submitted, rejected with ease. And we realize surprise cut him off at the knees. We forgave nothing but held in reprieve. We expected recompense for every game played and to feel all was worth it at the end of our days. So he walked around thinking he had a blank slate while accumulating late fees in our layaway. I may have subconsciously felt 
Gatsby owed me late fees and more, but in one way he didn't owe me a thing. I never walked a tightrope with him, nor had I done so with J.J., another man I was not committed to. I was myself with them. I wasn't sure I knew how to be myself in a relationship. When Gatsby first brought up the word relationship, I'd said, I'm done with cages, boxes. I don't want one. For two years, I'd meant that wholeheartedly, absolutely. Then I met the muse and I was back in a cage again deleting, suppressing, restricting the side of me he didn't like. And I replicated the same thing with Harley, but unlike all my relationships before, it wasn't enough. They dumped me, but I had learned my patterns. Commitment to me was connected to compromising my full expression of myself. Maybe there were relationships, marriages out there that didn't follow this pattern. I'd never seen one. Maybe I needed a new pattern, a new way of connecting, one I had no idea of how to even begin creating. With commitment came fear of losing that attachment. For some, that led to jealousy and suspicion. For me, it led to catering and compromising. How do I commit without fear, without compromising? How do I commit and include all of me? Do I wait for the man who likes it all? But I thought I had him four times and it never was the case. I was always too much. Hence, JJ and Gatsby, safe spaces, cocoons, open fields to explore, not a cage in sight. Now Gatsby was getting married. I don't know if I believed it. Supposedly, she lived with him in his apartment. This was the second time he'd miraculously moved out while I was occupied elsewhere. I almost wanted to text and ask for pictures of the girl, the place. Oh, he also had another car. Let's get a pic of that too. Well, whether he was lying or telling the truth was pretty inconsequential. I was sad, sad over Harley, sad over Gatsby. I was alone, single, single. I laughed. (laughs) There were men out there who would take me seriously now. I didn't have anyone I was talking to. No X, no boo, no FWB. I was perfect. Unspoiled by outside male influence. Well, it was time to create another profile, I guess. One day soon, one day when I had words to say to make men flock. Not today, not for a while. Now, I would hibernate, cogitate, meditate, Masturbate? Nah, not really my thing. Use my gym membership and write and call San Antonio. Lesson six, focus. Learn your healthy and unhealthy relationship patterns.